I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas, good time with family and relatives getting together. Uh, wherever you were driving or ending up, I hope it was a, a safe and a good time for you all. Some of you still got more, round two, round three, still coming. Um, we leave right after church to go to Indiana to be with my mom and, and all my siblings. Uh, today we have our Christmas get together. Looking forward to that and late night drive back tonight. So it'll be a quick trip, but it'll be well worth it. Uh, so I know some of you, like myself, there's still more. Uh, enjoy it. Enjoy it. You know, uh, anticipation uh, is all part of Christmas. We've talked about expectation, anticipation, the nativity scene and all of that. But I want you to think about the anticipation of things. You know something great's coming, something you've wanted for so long. Uh, some of the kids that are still in here, maybe, you know, you're waiting. Christmas Eve, you see the packages there. You're just like, I can't wait to rip it open. What's going to be in there? You're just so excited, so fired up, yet it's not time yet, and you're asking that question, when? Maybe it's something else. When is this going to start? When is it going to be ready? Are we there yet? All those anticipation questions, right? Well, about a week ago, millions of people lined up to watch the new Star Wars movie, okay? A lot of Star Wars fans out there. They're so excited. People were camping out in advance. They put their tents outside the movie theater. Now, I don't know about here in Wauseon, but this was happening across the U.S., and uh, people stood in line for hours. They crowded the theaters. Some theaters, it's going to come out on, you know, Friday. Well, we're going to do a midnight show on Thursday because we're going to do it beforehand because we just can't wait. And uh, some movie theaters used multiple screens. It just wasn't showing on one screen. It was on two, maybe three screens. I mean, there was a lot of anticipation. It was high. It's sort of like the buildup for uh, maybe, I don't know, a playoff game, a Super Bowl, something big, a big event like, like Christmas. Anticipation. But here's the thing, after the movie's over, after the Super Bowl, after the big event, days later, we move on to what? The next thing, right? Every church blows away their attendance on Easter and Christmas. The churches are full, but I'm gonna tell you something. Usually the Sunday after Easter and the Sunday after Christmas, you can hear crickets chirping. It's like half full. And I was like looking around today, it's like, this is awesome. You just sort of blew away my illustration. But typically, let's keep this tradition going, the Sunday after Christmas, full, full go, right? But usually there's always that big letdown after that big event. And actually, when you look in the Bible, it almost sort of feels like that way too, sort of. Not really. Not really. After the burial of Jesus Christ, there's a couple of disciples that were walking the road to Emmaus, right? And their heads are down, like, oh, this is, woe is us, Jesus is dead. And Jesus appears beside them, has that conversation. He's like, what's the matter? Oh, haven't you heard? Are you the only one that hasn't heard? Jesus, the Savior, he's dead. Little did they know, but within hours they found out Jesus was alive. He wasn't dead. At that moment, they had that big letdown, but as we say, to every Good Friday, there's what? A Resurrection Sunday. When Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, it was almost like another letdown. The disciples were with him, like, hey, he's back. We've had all these greetings with him. He's going to go, he's, he's ascending. And oh, here comes the big letdown again, right? No, because Jesus says, I'm sending my helper, my counselor, my Holy Spirit, who's going to be with you. This is going to be even greater. The Christmas story, the Christmas season, it seems like it's just a build up to the time when Jesus was born and we reflect on that. And what we forget is the story continues. It isn't over. It isn't like, oh, Christmas is done. Let's get back to the humdrum of things, right? 
the wise men remind us that it wasn't just one night, one event, one day or one moment of worship and celebration. There's more to the story. See, it was over a year later in which the wise men arrive at the house of Jesus, bearing gifts, coming to worship on bended knee. And we look in Matthew chapter 2, and let's read through this. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for that's what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be shepherd for my people of Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me, so I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them over Bethlehem. And went ahead of them. They stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They gave high fives. They slapped each other and said, Yeehaw! Just making sure you're staying along with me. Okay. Verse 11. They entered the house. They saw the child where his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasure chest. They gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream to return to Herod. When we think about these wise men in this story, it's a great story. And we sit there and we think, but what do we really know about the wise men? I mean, the Jews had been expecting a Messiah for centuries. The Jewish people, this was in their writings, in their, in their manuscripts, in their scrolls, and they're like, they've been studying it. But what about everybody else that wasn't Jewish? Well, actually, there was a few people that were also looking for this Messiah. Another group of people expecting the coming king. And they would watch the stars. And they'd look for signs of the coming king, wondering, is it time? Anticipation, right? Well, Joseph and Mary knew Jesus was special. The angels told them. First Mary, then Joseph, the night of. The shepherds come, right? But there were others who would help them realize the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. These people knew that Jesus being born was important coming to save people from all sin and death. But Mary and Joseph, after they were done that night in the manger in the stable, and where did they go after that? I mean, hey, the shepherds came, and then the shepherds left. The relatives pulled out. The guests leave. Christmas is over. Mary and Joseph are like, well, I guess we should go get a house now. We've got a child. It was really special, but there's nobody showing up. There's no more cards. Is this really... Did this really happen? Turn with me to book Luke, the book of Luke, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke. In the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 25. After Jesus had been circumcised and named Jesus, given the name by the angel even before he was conceived, 
verse 25, we read that there's a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, righteous, devout, eagerly awaiting the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. See, here's another one waiting. He's coming, right? The Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 26 says, and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can you believe that? God speaks to you and say, you're going to be along, long alive until you see the Messiah. We just sang about the promises of God. Can you imagine that kind of promise from God saying, listen, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah, Jesus. Wow. So when's that going to be? Here he is in the temple worshiping, right? Verse 27, that day the Spirit led him to the temple. He's like, I feel led. I need to go worship today. So he goes to the temple to worship. And when Mary and Joseph come to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, guess who happens to be there? Simeon. He took the child in his arms. He praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you've promised. I've seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He's the light to reveal God to the nations. He's the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said. I mean, it's been a couple weeks and nobody's come to visit. Nobody's reminded us that we've got the Messiah in our hands. And now this man, this stranger, we don't even know him who's come to worship, is proclaiming God's truth and calling him Messiah. Yes, it, it is him. This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your soul. Verse 36, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. So you can imagine Simeon handing baby Jesus back to Mary and Joseph. They got him, they're thinking, that was really strange and weird, but yet awesome. And then another lady, Anna, she comes up, the daughter of Phineel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. So you can imagine her coming along and you see this little old lady coming and, and she stops. Verse 37, she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but she stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph. She began praising God. And she talked about the child to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly, anticipating, right, for God to rescue Jerusalem. What did she say? I don't know. It's not recorded what Anna said. Could she have maybe prophesied and said words from Isaiah? Maybe she said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come upon us. Maybe that's what she said as she was holding baby Jesus. Mary and Joseph just met Simeon, met Anna, and they met the shepherds, and all of a sudden it gives them this reassurance. You know what? The promises that God gave, the moment we had a couple weeks ago, it's true. It really is true. This is the Savior, the Messiah. But there's still a few more guests to come. Christmas isn't over. Look at the person next to you and say, Christmas isn't over. Tell them. For those of you visiting, you're thinking, I'm not turning my head. Eyes straight ahead, focus forward, right? Okay, it's all right. I understand, it's a little uncomfortable. 
So we got the wise men still come because Christmas isn't over. The ones we see at the nativity scene, the magi, because remember, again, we got the nativity scene. We got, we got the manger and, and, and Mary sitting down and Joseph standing proudly looking like it's my baby, it's my son, right? It's Jesus, the Messiah. You've got the shepherds over here and you've got the, the animals and sheep and camel and donkeys and, and maybe in the background, you've got the angels above singing. And then you've got over here coming in the three wise men. There's always three, right? And they come in, they got their camels, and they got their big funny hats, and, and here they come, and it's like, here they are, they came all that, but we know this from the scripture, that they didn't all come on that same night, right? Who are these wise men that we see? Well, they're called magi, which means great and powerful ones. So those of you from the Wizard of Oz fans, I think the great and powerful ones. They're magi. They're from the east, most likely Persia, which today is modern-day Iran. They would have studied manuscripts. They would have studied documents. They would have anticipated the coming of this king. They would have prepared. And this is the message of Balaam, son of Beor, the message of the man whose eyes see clearly. The message of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel, as quoted in Numbers 24. They saw that star. They read the prophecies. They see this coming to fruition. They're like, it's happening. And directed by God, they packed up everything and they left for Judea. And as we read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, it says months later, it doesn't say months later, but months later when they arrived, it says in Jerusalem, they caused a stir. It says when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. All Jerusalem with him. Because if you back up to the verse before, it says they were seeking and searching and asking, where is, where is the Messiah? Where's the king? Going around, where's the king? Where's the Messiah? Asking everybody. Jerusalem's in a big stir. Somebody's asking for a king that was just born. Don't you know about Herod in the palace? Then Herod hears, whoa, whoa, whoa. These foreign dignitaries, these Great and powerful ones, these magi are coming. They're asking for the king. I'm right here in the palace. Who's this other king that they're seeking? It came very disturbing, right? Well, there's a few things here. There's a few pieces of the puzzle that are missing in this story. And I'm going to bring those out to you so you make sure we're all on the same page with this, okay? Because these are things we're not sure of. We're not sure on the exact arrival time of the wise men. We don't know. We don't have an exact date. We don't know. How old Jesus was exactly, we know he was older and he was in the house. He wasn't at the manger. He wasn't in the stable. The wise men would have seen this star. And they would have began their distant travel. And then to understand, some scholars say it was 800 miles. So if you're on 800 miles by camel. Uh, teenagers, this is why you do math problems. Traveling 800 miles by camel, three men, an entourage of people. Noah, how long will it take them to get there? You don't know. I, I felt the same way. I always looked at my math teacher. Like, I, I know what two plus two is. I'm good there, right? Story problems are rough. Ask Siri. <laughs> Siri, how long would it take? Don't do it now. Feel free to do that after church. Send me the answer. I would love to hear what Siri has to say. So we don't know the arrival time, but we know this. Herod said any child two years and younger, I'm going to get rid of. See, after the story of the wise men visiting, they didn't go back to Herod. And Herod's like, oh, man, this newborn king, we got to get rid of him. 
So let's go with age two, because I know he's older by now, so he's probably younger than two. So let's go two and down, gone. A horrible thing, a massacre. So we know that Jesus, we don't know exact time. We know he was older in a house, but we don't know exact time. You know, we also we don't know, we don't know the number of wise men. Time out. Rex, didn't you just say there's three? In the nativity scene, yeah, every picture we see, you know, we three kings. Oh, there must be three because we sing about it. So there's three, right? We don't know that. We know there's three gifts. And each one probably carried that, right? So we're going to assume three. But we don't know the exact number. There could have been more. The star location, not clearly explained either. Scholars, astronomers have their theories. How they know how to follow the star, we don't know. But as Magi, they would have studied astronomy, astrology, science. They would have studied uh, religion and more. And you think about this. I was reading about this, and another author said, who else in Scripture do we know of who had a special counsel to the king of Persia, who would have studied maybe sciences and astrology and religion and would have been able to interpret dreams? Daniel. 600 years earlier, he was part of a group called the Magi who also interpreted dreams and studied stars and gave counsel to the king of Persia. And in Daniel 9.20, we have something written that possibly these men could have read. They would have pieced together the sign of the star. And the Magi see, maybe they read back in what was going on at the end, and they see the star, and they start putting two and two together. And they read the prophecy, they believe this is it. But again, it's not clearly explained to us. The time, the number of wise men, a star, these three questions aren't clearly answered. And we have to say, well, why, why aren't they clearly answered? And that's about the time we step back and say, because maybe that's not the main point of the story. See, people always want to know everything about the Bible. And they always want, well, God doesn't say anything about this. And it's like, because maybe that's not the main point. Maybe God wants you to see something different in the story. Maybe it's because Matthew was showing us from the very beginning that the Gentiles can come and worship Jesus too. He wasn't just the king of the Jews. He was for the Gentiles too. Anyone can worship Jesus. Anyone can worship Jesus. Let me hear you say anyone. Anyone. One more time. Anyone. Because you see, sometimes we have in our minds certain groups can worship. Well, they've got to be of a certain color. Or they've got to have a certain amount of money. Or they've got to dress a certain way or live in a certain neighborhood. Well, why don't you invite them to church? Well, they probably don't want to come. Why are we making that assumption? Why do we do that? Is it out of fear? Is it, well, we just, I don't want to ask. I don't want to impose my faith. We sort of make that assumption ahead of time that not everyone wants to go and worship Jesus. But who did he die for? Everyone. See, what really matters then when we think about this is what we know in the story, we don't have all the details, but we do have details on certain things. And then that's one is that anyone can come worship Jesus. Two, the gifts. Look at the gifts. He was given three gifts, right? Gold, the medal of kings, an acknowledgement of right to rule. When tombs of kings were discovered, they opened up their tombs. They opened up maybe in the pyramids where the kings were buried. What did they always find? Gold. Gold was a gift given to kings. Incense was used in temple worship. It was mixed with maybe oils to anoint priests. When there was offerings made and sacrifices made, incense was burned, except in the sin offerings. If it was a sin offering, incense wasn't used. Why is that? Because incense reflected that perfection in worship. Jesus was without sin. 
he's able to then forgive sins. So like the high priest would come in and give an offering to remove the sins for the people, Jesus is like our high priest who removes our sins and cleanses us from all of our wrong choices. Myrrh, used in embalming, represented death. And again, we often think that would be a weird gift to give a baby. Oh, you have a new precious baby. Here, here's a little casket um, brochure. We, we we're gonna pay for the, take care of it in case, you know, just, you would be like, what? Freaking out and like, you may leave now? Take your brochure and leave, right? When we showed up with myrrh, it's an embalming spice. It was used in representing death. Jesus' burial, Nicodemus used over 100 pounds of that combination of myrrh and other burial um, spices for just one body. That's a tremendous amount of myrrh that was used, and it would have been constantly bought and sold for funeral arrangements. So we read in Revelation chapter 2 of a city in Asia Minor called Smyrna. And the name is actually the Greek word for myrrh. And that city was called Smyrna because its chief industry was the manufacture of myrrh. They produced a lot of it. So you think about this, it's sort of a gift. It wasn't a gift, though, to scare Mary and Joseph, like, hey, we brought you an embalming fluid or, you know, spices, and they hope this suits well with you. They understood what it was meaning. So it was a gift of faith. We know that Jesus' life was pictured as a life of what? Sacrifice, according to the Old Testament. His life would be that of a sacrifice on a cross. His death was for our life. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5 says this, Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And he thought the troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. See, Jesus came to suffer for our sins. And his suffering was symbolized by the Magi's gift of myrrh, a gift to honor his sacrifice. William Barclay said this, gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for one that was to die. These were the gifts of the wise men. And even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king, the perfect high priest, and the end, and in the end, the supreme savior of men. There's some things we don't know about the wise men, but these things we do know. They had incredible gifts and they gave them to Jesus and they represented something. So when I think about this and say, so when I walk away from this, what do we apply to our lives, church? When we look at the Magi and we think of that nativity scene, what does that represent for us? What does that remind us to do and how to live? And I'm going to give you a few takeaway points. Here's the first one. That is this. Give your best. I've asked this question before. You know, at Christmas we see this scene. They brought Jesus these gifts. But as we read, it says what? They opened their treasure chest. And what do we put in our treasure chest? Those things that are what? mean a great deal to us. We treasure them. We cherish them. It's like, I don't want to give them up. I keep them here in a special place. Well, they open up their treasure chest, their best, and what did they do? They gave it to Jesus, a little toddler. They could have given him anything, and he would have never known. Some of you have little, maybe little babies, or you've got little nieces or nephews at Christmas. You know, you wrap them up in really fancy present and wonderful wrapping paper and a beautiful bow. And, and it's like, do you think that kid cares? 
I ate wrapping paper when I was a child. Then again, I eat everything. But anyway, you know, you just rip it open and like, eh, they're slobbering all over it and they don't care and they open it up and they pull out the box and everybody's like, oh, and everybody's like, oh, and the baby's like, ah, oh, the box, you know, and they're playing with the box, beating it together and it's the best thing. Give your kids boxes when they're little, okay? They're okay with that. They don't know, right? But you don't do that. Why don't you do that? Because you love your child and you're going to give them the best. And that's what they did. They gave their best to Jesus. We have to ask ourselves, am I giving my best to God? Sometimes we only give best when it matters to us. If I want to get something out of it, but in reality, we should give our best all the time. And of course, that's so hard to do because we have all these excuses. We have these things going on in our mind. It's like, well, I'm in a hurry. Well, I really don't care. Well, I'm sort of preoccupied with all these other things going on. So it's sort of hard for me to give my best. Well, I don't like my boss. I don't like my coach. I don't like my pastor. I don't like this. So I really don't want to give my best. I, you know, that person I work with, that co-worker, I really don't like them, so I'm not going to give my best. Well, I'm just tired. Sometimes we don't give our best. Why? Because we're afraid of failing. We're afraid that if we're going to try to give our best, we might fail and then be made fun of or feel like, well, they're not going to appreciate what I did. There's so many reasons why we don't give our best. Let me ask you this. If somebody were going to give you a gift, somebody who really loves you, do you want their best? Or do you want their leftovers? So what would you do for them? Would you give your best or your leftovers? Today, we're going to get in a van. We're going to drive a couple hours. We're going to get to where our family's meeting. And I'm going to tell you what's going to be on the tables, plural. Okay? Because when 50, 60 of us get together, there's a lot of tables. And this is what there's, there's going to be some kind of meat, either ham or turkey, probably both, fresh cooked, just cut up. And then there's going to be uh, different dressings and mashed potatoes, probably cheesy potatoes. I'm getting to look like, no, you didn't read the menu. Anyway, if that were to be the way it was, usually is, but probably not this year because I didn't read the menu, there'd be all those wonderful things. Peanut butter pie? Dolores will come through. I know she will. Anyway, there'll be all those wonderful things. And here's what's not going to be on the table. The mac and cheese from last week that you put out the Tupperware and you drop on, it's still squared off, okay? There won't be that chili that's two weeks old, okay? There won't be pieces of pie that was sort of cut up and sort of dished out that was from last week's family reunion. Or part of the cookies from the uh, party at the office that nobody ate, so we'll set those out because nobody likes those kind anyway, right? That's what's not going to be on the table. Why is that? Because we don't serve leftovers. Not at a feast. Not at a family get-together. You serve the best. That's what the wise men did. They gave their best. Here's another thing to take out of this. Seek Jesus. How many of us are seeking Jesus today? They search. I mean, these wise men, they were seeking. They were going all over Jerusalem. Hey, do you know where the baby's born? Do you know where the, you know where the king of kings is born? Do you know where the Messiah is? They were asking all over until finally the king's like, whoa, a little disturbance going on in my city. Get these guys to come in. I need to have a little private meeting with them. He even went, the king even went to the religious leaders. Hey, do you know where Jesus is? The religious leaders didn't know where Jesus was. Isn't that sort of sad when those who say they have faith aren't seeking Jesus? They had no clue that the Messiah had come. They were the religious leaders. They should know when Jesus is in the house, but they didn't. 
and I know there's times when we probably feel that way too, but let's not be guilty of it when somebody comes and they want to know about Jesus. Let's not be guilty of the saying like, oh, I, I, don't, I really don't know a lot about Jesus. I, that's easy for us to do, right? Church, let's do this. Open up, read, learn, seek him. Wise men are still seeking today. We hear that phrase all the time, right? Let's not be the church that is like, well, I really don't know a lot about my Bible. Don't say that. Don't be like those back in scripture who are like, well, the Messiah's here, didn't know it. No, we know it. Let's know him the more about him as well, right? Here's another thing. Use your gifts. First of all, give your best. Seek him. Here's the third thing. Use your gifts. At Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, those holidays, it seems like everybody pitches in, right? Somebody's going to bake a cake. Somebody's going to bake a dessert. Somebody's going to cook a turkey. Another person's going to carve it, maybe. Uh, somebody's going to bring food. Others are going to be arranging the fixings, de- setting up the decorations, pulling in the chairs, tables, getting everything right. Somebody's lighting candles. Somebody's setting the table. While others might be just sitting in the living room catching up, that might be their job, right? Cleaning, arranging, cooking, picking up. We all pitch in. It's a big family effort. That's the way it goes down. Here's what makes you feel weird, okay? When you're sitting there and you have nothing to do, you show up at the family reunion, you feel like I need to be doing something, right? I was supposed to bring something. Like, oh no, you don't need to bring anything. Well, maybe I should help arrange. No, no, you don't need to do anything. Just have a seat. Can I tell you how uncomfortable that is for me? You just sort of sit there and you're watching everybody else doing stuff and you're like, I, I need to be doing something, right? I, I have gifts. I can cook or I can, well, maybe not, but I can do something, okay? I can arrange something. I can blow out candles. I can light candles. Um, there's all kinds of things we can do, right? When we see what happens is when we hog all the work, we rob others the blessings of doing it. And when I don't use my gifts, I'm not doing what God gifted and gave me to do. So at a holiday setting, when everybody's pitching and doing something, it's like, it feels good. Why? Because everybody's participating one way or another. What if these wise men are like, we've got gifts, but we're not going to give them to Jesus. We're just going to hold on to them and just keep our gifts. And we're going to keep them in a treasure box because that's where we keep our treasures. And we're never going to open it. We're just going to hold on to our gifts. We're to use the gifts that God's given us. God's spirit at work within each and every one of us. It pleases God. It benefits the body. It's like a muscle. If you, the more you use it, the stronger you get. And when you don't use that muscle, it just sort of atrophies and it's nothing. 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11 says this. God's given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do with all your strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power in him forever and ever. Amen. God's given us gifts. We've got to use them for his glory, not ours. So what do I get when I read the wise men's story? I think, man, am I giving him my best? Am I really giving him my best? Am I seeking him? Do I daily seek Jesus? For those of you in this room, I hope everybody knows Jesus Christ personally, that you have asked him to come into your life, that he's your personal savior. I hope you've sought him out already and you've found him there. Don't stop seeking, keep seeking. And if you haven't asked Jesus to come into your life, don't make the mistake of not asking him 
to be the Lord of your life. Seek him out. And if you have found him, if we've all found him, what are we offering him our best? And are we using the gifts that he's given us for his glory? When we take time to seek Jesus, when we give him our best, when we use our gifts, I'm gonna tell you something, life will be different for you. How do I know? Because I look at the wise men, when they got done worshiping Jesus, they sought him out, they gave their best, they used those gifts for him, they were warned, they were told by an angel, don't go home the same way you came. Go a different way. Don't go back to Herod. I want you to go a different way. I think about this. When we're seeking Jesus, we're giving our best, we're using our gifts, guess what? You will not walk the same way you used to walk before you knew Christ. You will walk a different path for him. You will live a different life for him. And it's a great, great thing to do. Worship team, would you come forward to share this last story? Uh, last week, um, you may have watched this, millions watched this. It was the pageantry of all pageantries, right? Uh, it was the crown of Miss Universe 2015. Some of you already heard the story, so bear with me as I re- recap this story. Um, but it was, you think about where this all begins. It begins locally with some kind of pageant, and then it moves on to Miss Ohio, and then Miss America. Well, this is the Super Bowl of all Super Bowls for pageantry, okay? This is Miss Universe. Who is Miss Universe? Well, this took place last week. And uh, like I said, it's the equivalent of the World Series and a World Cup and a Super Bowl. But unfortunately, on this special night when Miss Universe is going to get crowned, there's a huge mistake made. Huge mistake made. Miss Columbia, Miss Philippines are standing side by side and they get ready to announce who's Miss Universe. And the MC comes out and gives the announcement that it is Miss Columbia. And it was like, cheering, there's celebration, and there's excitement, and there's applause, and Queen Miss Universe tears, and and they put the crown on her, and it's like an eternity of applause just going and going and going, and and, um, in the midst of all this, there's an interruption by the evening's MC. I mean, it just seemed like this was going on forever, and the MC sort of comes back out, and he's like very timid, very like, um, I'm sorry, you know, he sort of interrupts. I'm I can't believe um, I'm, we made a mistake. You know, it's like, mm, he's fumbling for words. It's one of those, I can't believe this just happened moments. He apologetically announced that he made a mistake. He goes, Miss Universe, Miss Columbia is the first runner up. She's not Miss Universe. She was the first runner up. Miss Universe was Miss Philippines that was off to the side thinking she was second place. So people are still sort of cheering and they're like, what's going on? And you can only think about Miss Columbia and the sudden news that this is all a mistake. I mean, she's just sitting there thinking from a little girl, she's worn these dresses, she's twirled and she's looked good and she's prepared herself to be a queen and Miss Universe and, and she's got it now, it's on her head and she's thinking, oh, this is an incredible emotion, she's excited. And, and then like 100 miles per hour hitting a freight train, the emotions collide with anger and frustration and what just happened, right? Embarrassment. Meanwhile, the cameras are still rolling. Everybody's watching online, on TV, live, person. Can you imagine how she felt? I'm sure we've all been there before when we were like, what just happened? It's like, you don't even know what to think, right? It was unfortunate for everybody, especially Miss Columbia. And the announcer, Steve Harvey, unfortunately made a mistake, but the mistake didn't end there. He left stage, later posted an apology on Twitter. 
and unfortunately he misspelled both countries in his, in his tweet. He said this, I want to apologize emphatically to Miss Philippians, maybe, maybe he's a Christian, I don't know, and Miss Columbia, would he spell with a U instead of an O? And he said, this is a terrible, honest human mistake. I'm so regretful. He later deleted the message, but it wasn't before 30,000 other people retweeted it and sent it out. Look what he did, look what he did. Another mistake, right? Just over 2,000 years ago, the God of this universe sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. It was the crowning moment when only one name was announced. The name above all names. He's proclaimed as our savior. And in the audience was the prophets, shepherds, the wise men, many others who stepped into the life of Jesus and they proclaimed and posted that that's the true identity of our champion, the savior. And they all bowed to the King of Kings, the Messiah who had come. Let me share something with you. In that moment, there were no mistakes made. Nobody came up and said, we went to the wrong house. The shepherds didn't say, are you sure you have the right address? The wise men didn't go back and say, we would like to retrieve our gifts. We changed our mind. Nothing was taken back away from Jesus. No mistakes. This is the savior of the world. The only mistake, the only mistake would be is if we didn't acknowledge that. The only mistake would be is if we said, I don't believe that. The greatest mistake ever would be for us to not proclaim Jesus as the Messiah who's come into this world to save us from our sins. That would be the greatest mistake. And this morning, I'm here to say and encourage you to not make that mistake. Proclaim him as Savior. Proclaim him as Messiah. Worship him as a wise man. Give him your best. Seek him. Use the gifts that he gave you. We've went through this whole nativity scene. Center stage, Jesus Christ, the champion, the Messiah. We worship him and we worship him alone. Would you stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an amazing God. We thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that when he arrived, people came and they worshiped. The shepherds came and the angels rejoiced, but it didn't end there. Later, Simeon and Anna, and then later the wise men. And, and as he grew older, people continued to worship him. As he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the palm branches were thrown down, they still worshiped him. And when he was dead and buried and rose from the dead, they worshiped him again in the upper room. And, and then when he ascended, they didn't stop worshiping. Your Holy Spirit came and now lives within us who believe. We're still worshiping. And the greatest mistake we would ever make is to say that's not true. Or the greatest mistake would be to decline what lies before us in this story. And it's, it's true. So Lord, help us not to make any mistakes in what we believe. This morning, if we're here and we've never asked Jesus to come into our life right now, it's a great time to ask for forgiveness for the, the sins, the mistakes we've made and to submit, to bend a knee, to
to the one who is in the manger, the one who is the savior, the Messiah, the King of Kings, conqueror of sin and death, resurrected to give us new life. Now is the time to say, I believe in you. I trust you. Will you come into my life, Lord, and be my savior and my Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you already know him, let's live for him. Let's use our gifts. Let's give him our best. Let's seek him. God, help us to do that. Give us the strength and the power to do that every day. Lord, may we rejoice with you as we sing to you now. In name we pray, amen.